officially live at the dining room studio. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. You get to see it at the humble beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> the humble be- I like it. I like it. I like humble beginnings. So. Yeah, me too. It starts somewhere. And I know I had met you at the basketball. You were balling up on everybody. That's how I do. That's what I do. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You know, it's funny you mentioned basketball. I, I, I tell my wife this all the time. Uh, basketball is one of those things that you can tell a person and how they are in life by the way they play basketball. So if you have a person that, you know, calls a bunch of ticky-tack fouls, typically that person is going to be kind of ticky-tack in life. Or if you have someone that's, you know, just a person that, you know, gets along, uh, that's typically how they are off the court. And so a lot of my friends that I end up meeting, I meet typically throughout basketball. I've met my doctors in the basketball group that, you know, we play in the mornings, um, everyone from my knee doctor to my eye doctor to my dentist, um, a number of friends that I've met just through basketball. So basketball, I think, is just not just from a, a sport and just getting in shape, but it's just a great way to meet people. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, I think, a lot of people have a hard time meeting people. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we have all the technology that makes it easier than ever before, but actually getting to know people's tough and sports is one of the easiest ways for me to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'm not the best hooper, but what I do is I show up. You I've had been a couple lately. buckets. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple buckets. And it's funny, whenever you said people who call Tiki Tack Mouse, I thought of a couple people. There you go. So it, it comes to mind, right? It resonates with you. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we can both think of the same people. Yep. But. <laughs> no comment. No. Yeah. yeah, they're not here. So yeah, no right. comment. How long have you been in Lawrence, Kansas? I've been in Lawrence, Kansas since uh, 94, August of 1994. Came out here uh, on a football scholarship to KU and uh, stayed. I met my wife, future wife, and stayed here, you know. Got married, had the 2.4 kids, one and a half dog and white picket fence and been here ever since. Dang. Where'd you grow up? Ohio. Ohio? The Buckeye State, yeah. How'd you find KU? Well, KU, I tell you, with football, I was extremely naive. And what I mean by that, I didn't want to play football. I wanted to play basketball. I love basketball. Uh, I played football because my friends played I call it the Forrest Gump mentality. I just played because my friends played. And what ended up happening, I was a little bit bigger, a little bit faster. Um, but again, just naive about football. They basically gave me the ball and said, run this way. Very, form, uh, you know, Forrest Gump-like. And so I did that, and, and I started getting attention for football. And uh, not as much for basketball. And I remember my mom came in one day, and, and basically she was trying to relay the message that, listen, football mate be the option to go because of um, where it can take you from a university standpoint. So, of course, I'm a mama's boy, so I listened to my mom and came out here to Kansas. I thought, if anything, I can walk onto the men's basketball program because Kansas at the time, and still is, obviously one of the best programs out there. Um, But uh, once I got here, I remember talking to the coach, Coach, is it uh, Washington? He was with Roy Williams' staff at the time. I remember sitting down with him and he, he mentioned that, well, they've had conversations with our coaching staff, which was Coach Mason at the time. And basically they wanted us to prove ourselves on the football field before we could try out for basketball. And I thought that didn't make sense. I'm, I'm going to be redshirt. I'm not going to even be able to play. So I can't prove myself. 
having said that, once I went through the uh, workouts for football, I was like, there's no way. I don't know how people do it that, you know, play both football and basketball, but I, at that point I was done. My yeah. body is just so beat up and so I was like, oh, well, I'll just be a fan of basketball and, and play football. when you went football. That's when I went football. That's right. And then I love, I enjoyed, it's funny because in high school, like I said, I was so naive about football. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the terminology, the verbiage, the uh, the plays, the strategy, any of that. Like I said, they just gave me the ball and I ran on defense. At that time, because I was a little bit faster, I could make up for the lack of knowledge. So I didn't understand cover two. I didn't understand any of that stuff. So fast forward, I get to uh, KU and uh, my, my freshman year, they're throwing just so much jargon and verbiage, you know, get back into the flat, get back into the curl, you know, alignment. I mean, just all the stuff that I had no idea. And I was like, wow. And of course, as time went on, I started to learn and become a student of the game. So I love football now. But back then, not so much. You were relying on essentially raw athleticism. That's it. Yeah. That's all it was. That's <laughs> all it was. Then there are people who are on the other side of the house who may not be the most athletic, but they know everything. Yeah, they know everything. So now when I watch football, I do watch it differently now. Even when a play is developing, I can kind of see, okay, well, this is probably going to be a screen. Or, you know, it's third and long, so it's probably going to be this. So it's it's interesting and it's uh, satisfying to watch it now versus, again, years ago when I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Was Ohio to Kansas a culture shock or similar? Or? It's very similar. Um, I, for me, it was very similar, uh, you know, speaking for myself. Ohio State, I didn't get necessarily that much attention from Ohio State. It's a bigger university than, than the University of Kansas, I mean, by a lot. But I mean, I felt right at home once I got here. So there was no complaints. Yeah. Plus Kansas had free cable. So that. That's right. I read that (laughs) at the towers, right? At the towers. That's right. Free cable. I was like, where where do I sign? Um, So yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. It didn't take a lot to get me here. Yeah. To think about all of the things some of the universities do, like they really roll out the red carpet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're like free cable. That's right. Let me sign up. And Showing up to KU, I know I left the state to go to grad school. Whenever I was an undergrad, I stayed in state. But man, I, I was homesick every now and then. Were you homesick a lot or were you pretty good at um, transitioning? I think for the most part, I was pretty good uh, t- to hear my mother tell us she'd probably say something different, like I was crying home every day. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I think for the most part, I was pretty good. I think football was the thing that obviously could distract yeah. Because, you know, you're constantly on the go, whether it's winter conditioning, spring, uh, you're always on the go. And so once I got here, you end up kind of meeting your tribe, if you will, uh, which if you play defense, most likely you're going to hang around with defensive players. If you're playing linebacker, most likely you're going to hang around a bunch of linebackers. And so met my little crew, if you will. And, and uh, it was it was just a good time. I, I had fun with everyone on defensive side of the ball and in the offense as well, which You've seen my personality on a basketball court, uh-huh. so it doesn't take a lot for me to get along with someone. So right. it was a good time for me. I yeah. enjoyed myself. Which is my favorite whenever people are able to perform at the high levels, but then their personality, they, they're not prickly, right? Like right. They're able to get along with folks. And I had seen one of those pictures. You'd really blown up. You were a big <laughs> dude. 
Uh, it was the pads. The yeah. pads made me big. It, it may have been the pads. It Honestly, those pads are so big. They're um, like three feet taller than my neck. Yeah, yeah. right. Your traps look crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think those pads were funny. You studied communication. Yes. You and me both. We both studied communication. Now, did you take communication because everybody in the uh, team took communication? I took communication. I was a theater and communication major. So I wanted to make movies when it was all said and done. Obviously, with Kansas, it's not like it's a hub of, you know, people making movies, but there was a small department, and that uh, that's what I wanted to do. The whole financial thing didn't come into play until years later. Well, not years, but, you know, a couple of years later with regards to um, taking that class that we kind of mentioned off off mic, and that kind of changed the trajectory as far as what I wanted to learn in, in my soapbox or platform, if you will. But, yeah, I wanted to make movies. Yeah. Do you so, still have that itch? Somewhat. I think uh, it comes out from time to time uh, as far as just, I guess, more of the creative juices. So when I look at something, I may look at it a little bit different. And it's interesting when I start the process, we come, you know, into the financial industry. Some guys or some companies look at that as a knock that I, you know, communication and film, but some guys looked at it as an advantage because I did look at things a little bit different versus you know, the uh, tried and truths of coming up through a business school and I'm looking at things in, in black and white where I'm a little more creative mm-hmm. in a sense. So, Because I think with your lens and maybe they had a similar mindset, maybe they had a different mindset, but whenever you have the communication background, then you remember any, as far as financial literacy goes, financial advisement, anything dealing with the exchange of currency, it all has a person behind it and knowing how to interact with those people or just knowing about the people, Mm -hmm. right? Thinking about them completely changes the, the outlook there. Absolutely. No, I I couldn't agree with you more. If you're the smartest person in the room, but you have no personality, odds are it's going to be tougher for you to kind of succeed in some type of business like this. Yeah. Uh, Whereas the person that's able to relay information, specifically information that's uh, dry or, uh, it's hard to understand that person probably is going to strive or do a little better if you will. Yeah. So you show up from Ohio, you're in Kansas, you're on the football team, you're getting your butts getting kicked by the workout. <laughs> right. And you're getting some playing time. So talk to me about what's one of your favorite moments on the field. So anybody that you talk to that knows me will say the very first thing about if I were asked that question, that being two interceptions in one game. So, uh, two I say, pick sixes, two pick sixes. And so I say that kind of with a smile because I, I do have fun with that whenever I'm talking to someone and I, I may brag on that. Um, but it was a good time when it happened, but you were unaware. And is that still a standing record for the university of Kansas for yes, for university of Kansas? I think I tied for a linebacker. Yeah. In, in NCAA. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, you know, I, once it happened, you know, it was fun. It was great. Uh, then after the game, a lot of reporters started kind of surrounding me, which I thought, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> this happens all the time. Right? This is a Tuesday. Right. Um, but what ended up happening, they uh, they mentioned that later. And it's so funny when I think about think back about stuff like that. It's not as if we had our phones and we had the internet where we can check it right then and there. I, I had to wait. I, I, did, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> right. And so they, they told me that uh, it was a record. I was like, really? I had no idea. I find out in the newspaper, you know, the next day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it, that was probably one of the funnest times there as far as, uh, I don't know if I want to say accolades, but you know, just having a good time. 
Colorado game, I think, or in 95 would be Colorado, which we were undefeated at the time. I want to say they were undefeated as well. And they were still good at the time. So, so that was a big moment. Yeah, it was a, oh, yeah, that definitely was a big moment. We went to Colorado and beat them. And I remember coming back, and I think we, I think we were ranked that next week. Because, you know, KU has those up and down, ebb and flows as far as how good the program was. And uh, we were coming off not a very good season before. And so to be, I think, either 4 or 5-0 and oh at that time and then beat Colorado at Colorado and Dang. and actually uh, get ranked, that was, that was pretty big. That's big time. Yeah, that's pretty I know, big. lately they've been doing good, but it's like, hasn't always been the case. Yeah, hasn't, hasn't always, always been the case. case. It's been bare bones for a while. <laughs> that's right. I think after we had success with the Aloha Bowl, I think we were ranked fifth. We had, yeah, that particular year, we were ranked fifth or sixth in the nation. So after that year, we come in to the next year, I think ranked seventh. So still top 10, I believe. Somebody's probably going to have to fact check me. But uh, that first game, we just went south. <laughs> we, yeah. we just went downhill. It just wasn't anything nice. And well, we weren't bowl eligible after that. And then the next year after that, we didn't do that great. So yeah. didn't do well until, or KU didn't do well until I think Mancino got here a couple of years under his belt. And he kind of brought us back to, you know, some type of uh, respectable yeah. season. Of course, Orange Bowl was huge for us. So, And it's it's been cool to see that progression. I'm imagining you catching those interceptions and <laughs> then you take them back to the house. I think the, okay, I'll be honest, I've never played football on a team before. Uh-huh. I was a soccer guy growing up. I got into track and field. I just recently started playing basketball, as you could probably tell. But (laughs) I think one of the most exhilarating things on the football field from an onlooker is punt returns. Mm -hmm. That's one of them, Um, returning a kickoff. And then whenever I see guys catch interceptions, and then they just start running. (laughs) I think that's one of the funniest things, right? Because it's the offensive players all trying to tackle the guy, Yep. Yep. right? Yep. And you're just like dodging them. Do you recall those moments where you're catching the interception and you're like, all right, let's see how far I can get? Uh, absolutely. I remember that because at that particular time, I think um, my position was not secure as far as starting outside linebacker. And so my position coach at the time, I know he was trying to basically split time with me and another linebacker. And, mm. and uh, during that game, the fact that I was able to you know, score those touchdowns, I still had a fairly good game. After that, I think kind of secured my spot or starting spot. But yeah, I, I just I just remember um, again just looking at you. You can tell a lot about an offensive tackle and a guard, the way they block. If it's going to be a pass, if they're going to fire out, you can look at the whites of the knuckles. If they're kind of tensed up, you can see most likely they're going to fire out. Oh wow! If their butt is kind of leaning back, most likely it's going to be a pass. Depending on what uh, down it is, most likely it's going to be a pass. All this stuff you can kind of taken into account. And, and at that point, uh, you know, I can kind of, uh, I start to understand the game a lot more. I don't know if you've heard this phrase, probably in soccer as well, but when the game starts to slow down, that's when it really gets fun. Yeah. And so as you become a student of the game and you start to really understand plays and just personnel, uh, the game gets really interesting. And it's almost like you're playing chess because I have a pretty good idea of what you're about to do probably three steps before that. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm not right all the time, but you know, when I was playing, I can kind of, and most guys do, you know, who kind of start to really pay attention to the game or become a student of the game. Um, 
So yeah, those interceptions were just absolutely uh, fun. Uh, I did, you know, exactly what I was supposed to do as far as getting back in the curl. Oh yeah, Yeah. read it both times. So, did you tell the QB like, "Hey, you're easier to read than a kid's book"? (laughs) I told him afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) No, I definitely uh, had my fair share of talking trash on the field. If you could only imagine. You were a communication major. That's right. I had to communicate. Yeah, you have to communicate. I'm like, what play are you about to run? Come on now. Yeah, what are you there for school for if not to communicate? That's right. And you finished school in four years because you're doing summer classes, right? That's right. Because you want to work out over the summer. Well, yeah, you definitely want to work out during the summer, but uh, they, how should I put it, uh, encouraged you as a program that uh, it'd be in your best interest to stay put and work out. <laughs> uh, so I needed to say I did that and... Um, in order to stay, you had to be in school. So I did the summer courses and so forth. And so naturally I started to, or got to graduate four years uh, as a five-year scholarship. So I graduated four years and I was actually ineligible to play my senior year of football eligibility, which at the time, um, it doesn't sound abnormal to graduate in four years, but for whatever reason, at that time, it was a little bit uh, different. I don't know if it was just because of the scholarship or what, but uh, regardless, I was actually ineligible to play my last year because I'd already graduated. And so they got whatever worked out, and uh, I had to just take courses in order to be able to play. So my thought was I was going to take my master's or start my master's program. So I started doing that, and the thing was just kicking my butt. I was like, I don't know how people do this. So then I was like, well, I'm just going to basically take some courses, some stereotypical courses, some yeah. you know, basket weaving 101, yeah. uh, you know, softball or something like that. But one of those classes was the uh, the class transition from college to the workplace, which, again, is what we kind of touch base on um, before or off mic. And so this class had, uh, you know, uh, is just for athletes, experimental class. It was taught by Wayne Walden, who's uh, on Coach Williams' staff. And uh, just talk about anything that you would deal with basically after school. So anything from insurance to stocks to mutual funds, basically adulting, if you will. And so I remember sitting in that class just being embarrassed because there are some guys who did understand what that stuff was. And I'm thinking, wow, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> and so at that time, we, did, we didn't have internet. Uh, we did, but it wasn't, you know, what we had on our, our phones and so forth. So, you know, I had to pick up a book and I just would read uh, whenever we would take trips to Nebraska, for example, or K-State, or uh, or just in general, I would just try to read just to kind of understand. So if it was investing for dummies, whatever it would be. And so my thought at that time was I wanted to uh, basically be a financial advisor for athletes, for pro athletes. Um, but as I come to learn, athletes are flaky as all get out. We're flaky, uh, you know, football players in particular, you know, we think we're immortal, think going to play forever. Uh, just this bravado of um, things working out, I think, with regards to football players. And so I learned really quick in my uh, the start of my career that athletes are not what I'm going to be able to necessarily work with um, from that standpoint. So as time went on, I would always contact the university and I would ask, if you guys ever have a program, a class or whatever like that, again, please let me know. I would love to be a part of it. So year after year, I would contact them, nothing Nothing. Hey, guys, let me know. Let me know. Nothing. Which is surprising, right? It is surprising. It's very surprising, uh, especially if I'm offering, you know, basically free to, to do, teach them about or expose them to some of these things. So it wasn't until like maybe two 
years later, or two years um, as of today, roughly, that I got a call from Wayne Simeon. Uh, and Wayne and I knew each other, but we didn't know know each other. So Wayne calls me out of the blue. He basically says, hey, listen, would you be interested in talking to our guys about financial empowerment? Which I basically tell him the story that I just threw up on you. You know, uh, you know, talked about the class, talked about just the lack of exposure, and uh, just went on and on. And so I uh, talked to the guys, the, the basketball team about financial, and it was very basic stuff. So everything from budgeting to credit cards to uh, banking to uh, just basic stuff. It went, you know, went great. I mean, I thought it went great. He thought it went great. And so Coach Q, who's on staff now, um, he mentions like, well, Pat, you know, I want you to talk to, uh, they call it BACA. It's the Black Assistant Coaches Association. So all the African-American coaches uh, for the Big 12. This is Zoom, so this is right around COVID. And so he said, I want uh, I want you to talk about your platform. I was like, wait a minute, I got a platform? Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I started putting together this website, uh, Financial Literacy for Student Athletes, real original, I know. And just putting together just real small, I don't know if I want to say insignificant, but just resources, everything from just understanding credit cards to, like I said, uh, budgeting, just simple stuff. And then I started interviewing former student athletes. And I kind of got the idea. There was um, on uh, ESPN years ago, there was ESPN 30 for 30 athletes going broke. And so in this, this episode, uh, they talked to people that had basically gone on, obviously from college, but gone to the NFL, NBA, whatever, and uh, squandered their money away. So I went from Andre Risen to Bernie Kosar, um, Vince Young from Texas, um, a number of other guys. And, you know, they would tell their story about how they made X amount of dollars and they lost X amount of dollars. And so it goes back to what I was thinking years and years ago, just the exposure or lack thereof. And so I don't work with pro athletes, but I do work or I'm trying to basically shorten that, that time frame as, of learning with these student athletes. And what I mean by that is if I can uh, narrow that gap, because you're going to basically learn regardless, uh, you're going to learn through trial and error. You know, if you, uh, the example, you know, you get a credit card and you start spinning up, you know, pay, uh, well, that's going to mess up your credit. And everything's going to be higher with regards to interest and so forth. So if I'm able to narrow that gap, help them understand how to use credit as a tool versus, you know, not using it, uh, then they're going to be better off when it's all said and done. So that was what I, I, I kind of thought I want to do with this this platform. And a lot of guys that I, I talked to, a lot of former athletes, all their answers are very interesting. They're They're different, but they're the same. But they're extremely interesting, and I've every time I talk to a former student athlete, it's like I'm right back there to when I played. Because mm. every athlete's, I mean, we all have the way that we talk. Uh, we have a certain way, or ch- not. I shouldn't say chippiness, but bravado, if you will. And it's so fun, and it, and it's so refreshing whenever I do talk to someone that has has been there. Whether, like I said, regardless of the sport, regardless of it's uh, female or male, they know what it's like. They know what it's like to sacrifice. They know what it's like to get up early, to go through practice. Your body's extremely tired. Uh, so it's always refreshing, like I said, to talk to them. But every, if not every single one, they've always said, you know, it, it would have been great to have a, quote, Pat Brown. 
mm. when I was going through school. So that's that's kind of refreshing to hear. It's not as if I'm getting paid from this. I just love uh, doing. I love exposing you know these kids to the to to what they eventually are going to learn down the road. Now, fast forward. Now, a lot of schools are um, starting these financial literacy type programs, and they want their athletes to go through this this program now, which I think is great. I mean, I'm not all schools are doing it, but there are schools that are at least having something that this athlete can can do. Uh, so I think that's obviously a start. So, yeah, and there's the demand is there. Yeah, that is for sure. Because you were, like you said, a student athlete. What did you know about money your freshman year? Man, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't. I I certainly didn't understand it. My parents, both my parents, were uh, college educated, um, the whole nine yards. But we never sat at the dinner table and discussed anything dealing with financial matters. You know, the, I don't know if it's just because of the time, you know, maybe talking about money with your kids was kind of taboo back then, uh, which, um, you know, I can certainly understand it's just, you know, those were the times that's, that's what happened. But, uh, you fast forward, I get into college, uh, you know, you go up to Wesco, which is, uh, on Katie's campus. And all you gotta do is fill out a form. You get free t-shirts, you get a bag of Skittles, you know, if you're hungry during the day, you know, you want some Skittles. Yeah. They're free. And the next thing you know, you get this plastic card in the mail and now you get a limit of 500 bucks. You can go spend that. Great. You got 500 bucks. You got five. That's, that's money. I can go buy some shoes. I can do whatever I want. Oh, wait, I got to pay that. Oh, it has interest. What's interest? I don't. Oh yeah. Now I'm in this, 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 this perpetual will now, this circle, because I don't understand. And so, you have something like that, or it might even be worse for other people, but you have something like that, and then you you know, you know, you pile onto it, and it co- starts to compound the wrong way. And uh, here you are, senior year, you got debt, and you, you don't you don't have any credit. So now you're starting your, your job, or potential job, with debt and, and lack of understanding. Uh, and nowadays, there are jobs that look at your credit to determine whether or not they're going to hire you or not. But it's just so many things that you, you should be aware of. And uh, lo and behold, if you are fortunate enough to go to that next level, whatever that pro sport is, uh, you still need to know it. And, you know, if you have, I keep coming back to credit because it's an easy topic to talk about, but if you have bad credit and let's say you are a millionaire, so if you're paying like 30%, you know, for something on credit or, or because, you know, you're trying to buy a house or whatever and you just have horrible credit, so now your house instead of, uh, I think, 4% um, interest. Now you got, you know, paying 10 or whatever. I'm being facetious, but you're paying a lot more for something that you don't have to, yeah. had you known, you know, the, the proper thing. So all this stuff is uh, certainly important. Like I said, you will learn. You just, are you going to learn the hard way? You're going to try to, you know, narrow that gap. Yeah, it's it feels a little better whenever you can learn something without losing a whole bunch of money. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I remember... So personal story here, cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. it is, it was, I mean, it's still a big thing, but a couple years ago, it was a really big thing and people were making their own cryptocurrencies. <laughs> coins and all that. <laughs> yeah. They were making their own coins and someone had approached me about this project and they offered me the opportunity to be a seed investor. Oh, wow. It was like, oh my gosh. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's <laughs> yeah. jump at it. I, I'm going to be rich. Right. And... 
Needless to say, I was not rich. <laughs> I am not rich. You see what we got going on. This here. is what you're talking about. You're rich in life. I know. You're rich it, in life. It is really nice. But the lesson, one of the things that I was learning is I'm really grateful that, and now I know, I was listening to a podcast, early seed investing very rarely ends up with uh, optimally. Like the best people to do angel investing like that are people who, like uh like tim tebow you know like he has his money Mm -hmm. he has a great image he has a great brand and he wants to invest in a local community or you see different famous people doing that and it's not good for someone using their emergency (laughs) fund yeah i know you're you're absolutely right and i think the uh the marketing dollars that kind of go towards people that are are, quote regular folks um you know doing a disservice uh, yeah because you know typically most folks are not going to be able to invest but they don't have the discretionary income or discretionary in, or money to actually invest in something like that because if they lose it that's that's a big deal versus like you said a tim tebow that can afford to lose it yeah so i i learned that and i was like okay i'm not doing that again but it's an example <laughs> of something that once i get to the point to where there's another opportunity and it's with more money Mm-hmm. And it's like, thankfully, I learned this lesson whenever I wasn't dealing with that much. Yeah. But I still learned that lesson. And I think about when you talk about going to the pros, some of this money that's exchanged between people's hands is way more than anybody could imagine. Right. And due to that, you may have a bit of ignorance like, hey, no matter what I do, I'm set. And then someone approaches you with a real estate opportunity. A restaurant or something. A restaurant? Why is it always the restaurant? Because if you see your name on a building or a restaurant, that feels good. It's like I made it. Yeah, that's true. I got my own restaurant. So every year, uh, the NFL, the NBA, they have these orientation, rookie orientations, whereby uh, you have a number of professionals that come up and they talk about certain things that these rookies need to understand moving forward. Obviously, topics that include dealing with their money. And so I make that, that comment just because they have someone up there telling them, don't do this. Here's what other people did last year, years prior. Here's how it burned them. But yet people make the same mistake. And there's always going to be some rookie or someone who thinks, oh, well, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. Inevitably, they end up losing quite a bit of money. Um, and I mentioned a restaurant uh, because it seems like everybody wants to see a restaurant with their name on it. Uh, and it does. It sounds great. But without really understanding how a restaurant works, it may not be best just to throw you know a bunch of money at it. And, and hopefully it, it works. Football, football in particular, the if you look at the average lifespan or span of a particular player, you look at the position that he plays and, you know, the odds are that I mean, it's anywhere from three to four years that a uh, player, particularly a, a skilled player in football, so that's either running back or receiver, that they're going to play um, and make a certain amount of money. Now, obviously, there are players that have played longer um, and, and made quite a bit of money. I mean, you look at Tom Brady's play like 300 years. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, that's the exception. The average is, is still fairly low. And so guys have to understand that. I, th- I do, you know, I'm sitting here talking bad about him, but I do think it's getting better. I mean, uh, with everything dealing with, uh, you know, the internet, social media, the information is more readily available. And I think as time goes on, people are going to be more aware. 
So I, I think it is getting better. It's just going from the past. You really need to just focus in and just understand that uh, you need to have a plan. Just like any sport, you need to have a game plan. So financial yeah. literacy is no different. Right. So whenever you're working with a student with financial literacy, so you establish like financial literacy is knowing what to do with your financial resources. Right. Right. And then from there, do you go, I know you're doing it with multiple people at the same time. So how do you break down a budget? Well, a budget, I, I look at it um, a couple of ways. So with student athletes, they're a little different because they depend on how they're, they're paid or compensated. Prior to NIL, you had um, a stipend that these kids would get, and the stipend would be X amount of dollars. So they need to essentially pay, you know, whatever rent that they have, and then they can, if they have a car, then, you know, they can use that for the car payment, uh, and then just whatever else they use as far as spending money. Nine out of ten times, a lot of these athletes are not looking at trying to save anything. And so what I'm trying to get them to do is just do very, very small things to get into the habit. With college sports, it's all about repetition. And so when they get out on the field or if they get uh, in a weight room, you always hear a coach talk about, you know, get your reps in, get your reps in. Well, in the financial world, I, I'm trying to get them to realize that it's the same thing. So, for example, you know, if you are uh, can invest in something like, a, I use a mutual fund for an example, and I'm by no means, you know, saying, hey, go invest in a mutual fund. But uh, what I am saying is, get an idea of what that mutual fund looks like. If you're investing $10 a month, uh, that's going to generate a statement that's going to come to your home. So now you have information that you can digest. So look at the statement. All you're doing is just developing those, those skills. And because at some point it is going to be, it's going to mean something to you later on down the road. Uh, once you to, once you get a real job and so forth, but going back to your initial question, as far as budget, I, you know, I, I tell them if anything, you know, look at having a couple accounts, you know, one account that a portion of that stipend goes into uh, that's used for whether it's rent or utilities, another portion that may be using, you know, if they're going to tithe or if, uh, if they're going to put other money away for savings, separate that out so you're not, you don't have to think through the process mm. and try to automate things as much as possible. So if you do have, uh, for lack of a better way, you know, put things, a subscription or something, whether it's um, Netflix. Yeah, Netflix for a perfect example. So if you have Netflix, um, you know, that's automated. So you set that on an automated thing. And so it happens every single month. Same thing you want to do with budgeting. So if you are going to save, again, for the sake of this conversation, $10 a month, have $10 come out of this account and go to a different account each month so that it's happened automatically versus you doing it on your own. Because, I mean, if you get caught up doing something else, whether obviously your your sport or school, you may forget to do it. Yeah. And so try to automate your habits as much as possible. I didn't even, this is kind of funny talking about financial literacy. I didn't even know you could have multiple accounts for a while, you know? Oh, multiple bank accounts? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, I have a bank account, you know? And then I started to meet people and they're like, well, you got your check-ins, you got your savings, <laughs> and you got your, <laughs> right. you know, your, what is it? High yield saving account. Money market accounts. Yeah, so money market accounts. And then I started meeting people who have several bank accounts with uh, a fund for this kid or a fund for yep. that. And it's like, man, just that one fact that, hey, you know, you can have multiple bank accounts. Yeah. The other thing is, I don't think they, well, I know they don't, um, but uh, high school, you know, that would be a great place to really introduce people to financial literacy. Um, when I was in school many, 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 many years ago, you know, I didn't get taught anything in high school. 
uh, and I went to a pretty good high school. <laughs> well, at the time, I thought it was a pretty good high school. And so, you know, just exposure, exposure, exposure. That's the key word is exposure. You know, having uh, someone sit down with you and just kind of go over what a budget looks like, you know, understand what credit looks like, understand what compound interest looks like, understand what investments look like. Just an exposure. You're not going to learn everything, which that's one of the things I tell guys. You're not going to learn everything, but just to get exposed to it. So at least you recognize it. Yeah. Very similar to whatever sports you're playing. That's why you go through practice. So you recognize things. So same thing with investment. Uh, you know, the example I used about, you know, investing in a mutual fund so that you can at least see what those statements look like when they come in. You can see what it's earning, what it's not earning, what the fees are, what the particular investments are within that mutual fund. Um, it's just exposure so that you can you can see and recognize this statement and what it is just so you get in the habit of doing it. Mm -hmm. so. Those spreadsheets, I get those emailed to me now. I'm all digital. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I have a couple different ETFs that I'm a part of mm -hmm. and I sometimes get a bit overwhelmed by all of the the PE yeah, and, P ratios and so forth. Yeah, all, all of the numbers on there. Do you go that deep? With? Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't because just what you said, it can it can be daunting. And I, I try to stay surface, kind of surface material for the most part, uh, just for that reason that you mentioned there. Keeping in mind, these are young student athletes, so their time is, is, is stretched so thin as it is. So I don't want to throw a whole bunch of stuff at them. I just want enough so that they are exposed and that it narrows that gap because a lot of the stuff they're going to learn obviously on their own. And certainly if they want to meet with someone that's a you know professional, financial professional, they can do that. If they want to be with me, they can do that as well. But just let them know that they have options, right? that they're not tied to one thing. And I'm, I always want to clarify whenever I meet with these, these guys, it's not, it's not me coming to you saying, Hey, look, you should do business with me. It is truly just a passion project. And you need to find someone that you trust that you can sit down with that can actually just explain everything to you. Explain. I remember years and years ago, there's a, I forget the name of the movie, a Denzel Washington movie. That's in Julia Roberts. I forget the name of the movie, but he would always make this phrase, explain it to me like I'm four years old. Uh -huh. That's where he's an attorney. Tom Hanks. What was that movie? He and Tom Hanks. I couldn't tell you. I'm not, you need to know this. You were a I movie do. guy. In I'm college. a movie buff. What was that? Tom Hanks was sick, had cancer. Anyway, had AIDS. He would always make that comment, explain to him like I'm four years old. And that's what I want, you know, guys to understand. You don't have to listen to someone who's, you know, using a lot of language and jargon that's, quote, over your head. You know, ask him, you know, dumb it down for you. You know, explain to him like I'm four years old. So I think, if anything, getting, you know, these young athletes to understand that, you know, they can, they can ask questions like that. And they'll know if someone, this odd person, really wants them to invest in their restaurant, maybe they should think twice. <laughs> they should definitely think twice. <laughs> Three definitely. times, Three four times. times. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, just don't do it. So NIL, you mentioned NIL. Name, image, likeness. Yep. Now that's really changed the college athletic space as far as financial literacy goes. 100%. And going back to, to what I mentioned before about uh, Wayne reaching out, that was one of the reasons. He knew, uh, along with the staff, they knew that NIL was coming down the pipe. And it hadn't uh, gone through yet at that point. Um, but, you know, kudos to, you know, the basketball staff as well as Wayne for just trying to get out in front. They wanted they wanted their guys exposed to the stuff, at least to understand 
what this looked like because there are going to be some guys that have opportunity to make some money. I mean, KU is, it's KU basketball. I mean, it's like the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. So of course they're going to have opportunity. And so I think they just want to really get out in front of it. And, you know, him reaching out to me was just great. I mean, I think obviously I'm in the backyard. Obviously I played, play ball there, play football there. So I think it was just a, a natural connection. So it was a good fit. So explain NIL to me like I'm four. Do the athletes approach the companies? Do the companies approach the athletes? What does this look like? It uh, it looks like the companies approach the athletes. And so how this is, and everything's still changing, uh, but essentially have different marketplaces. Uh, there's one in Overland Park, I believe. Uh, it's called Open Doors. Uh, basically, it's a marketplace. So if you're a student athlete, you can list your information with this Open Doors. And then other companies, let's say, um, I know Jefferson's, watch someone advertise their wings. So they may contact Open Doors, who already put together the, the framework, if you will, as far as the uh, the contract, the tax forms that a particular player would have to fill out. And they have that set up. So when you contact Open Doors, Open Doors will say, okay, well, you're not going to do this job for anything less than $5,000. Okay. So it's 5000 and. $50 that you're going to do this job. They hire you through Open Doors. Uh, as I said, Open Doors will send you the contract to sign. Then it gets sent to whatever company that might be, or Jefferson's in this case, and everybody signs off, and then you do the job. And that's that's one one way. There are other ways if a company just outright contacts you. They see you playing ball on TV. Uh, they contact you via you know Twitter or via Instagram and uh, make a pitch for you to do X, Y, Z. At that point, now you have to be the one that does the due diligence. Uh, so do you have a contract that you want them, you know, that you want to sign or that you don't want to sign? Do you have an attorney that's going to look over that stuff for you? You're you're the one kind of driving that that boat now. So that's another, another avenue. And that happens for whatever company, whether it's a restaurant company, whether it's, uh, you know, corporate, whatever it is. Uh, they're reaching out to you directly, and then you have to do kind of the due diligence or hire a team, if you will. Uh, and that team can consist of an attorney, a CPA, or whoever. The other thing, or other way that these athletes are getting paid uh, through NIL is the what's called a collective. And so I don't know if you've heard of what a collective is, but for the scope of this conversation, it's basically another entity or organization that has no ties with the university. Uh, so most universities are going to have in the area a uh, collective that's named somewhat resembles the university. So for Kansas, there's the Mass Street Collective. Has KU Colors. Mass Street is obviously downtown. So that's that's the collective that's essentially not affiliated with KU, but it's, it's still nonetheless a collective that will pool money together in order to compensate athletes for particular jobs. Okay. And so those jobs may be anything from an athlete being hired to go to an event to sign autographs. And so it goes through Mastery Collective. They reach out to the athlete. This is the amount that's going to be paid for this particular this job. And um athlete can say yay or nay. And um, they say yes, and they go through the process, and then they, they get paid. Uh, so one of the things that, um, which I do talk to some of the athletes about is just the, um, how they get paid. So these 
athletes get paid 1099 typically. And so for those that don't understand what a 1099, you're basically getting paid a direct lump sum. So no taxes are withheld at all. And so that's a concern of mine because mm-hmm. if you're a young student athlete, odds are you don't realize that you have to take some money and set it aside. That's to pay scary. Tax. Yeah. It's real scary. And so that's one thing uh, from an exposure standpoint, you want these athletes to realize. Um, obviously, I'm not not a te- or uh, an accountant uh, by no means, but uh, you know we deal with enough accountants to realize that hey, look, you need to go see an accountant. <laughs> um, I can only tell you so many basic things, but um, if you are in that that space of where you're making a nice chunk of money as a um, as a student athlete, you definitely need to sit down with a, an accountant, a qualified accountant, at least make sure you're doing things the right way with regards to taxes. Yeah, build a team because. That was one of the things I was interested in seeing if you uh, knew kind of, I know with NIL, a lot of financial resources are being poured into the student athletes. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a equal amount of financial like literacy and financial um, representation? For instance, if someone comes on the team for KU are they automatically given a team of people oh, to? No, the the way that the rules are right now, as a university, they cannot they cannot advise student athletes with regards to a team. Mm. So it's not like University of Kansas. Again, for the sake of this conversation, can go out and say, "Hey, Bob, uh, you need to use this particular attorney. You need to use this CPA. You need to use this." financial advisor, this insurance agent, what have you, uh, they're hands off. So it has to be a, a definitive line between the two. Uh, now they can bring in, um, you know, obviously professionals to come in and kind of speak in general terms with regards to what, what, what they need to kind of understand as student athletes. Uh, but it's up to the student athlete to find their own team. Okay. Uh, so that, you know, you, you can kind of go both ways, you know, as a university, shouldn't they be out there protecting a student athlete? Um, but it becomes a liability because what if something happens and a student athlete has some type of horrible experience with that particular profession at the university provided and it's that particular professional if that professional working for the university best interest or the student athlete. So it's a lot. Yeah. And I, I think that's why they had that definitive line that said, okay, well you just go find whoever. So um, it's up to the student athlete to build their own team. Correct. Which may be tough. Like you said, a lot of, we all were coming into, I mean, now there's TikTok and Twitter mm-hmm. and all these potential resources we could look at to gain knowledge, but you're 18, you get picked to, to go to a school to play ball. And then now you have companies approaching you, yep. giving you rates. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's I always different people that I talk to. I always uh, keep saying there's going to be a lot of some casualties with a lot of these players, uh, anything from, um, from a tax standpoint, you know, players that may get in a situation where they don't pay their taxes like they need to, I think that can certainly uh, be a, a problematic. Two other things, you know, if, uh, for example, if a student athlete doesn't pay an attorney, you know, let's say that they do find an attorney on their own and this particular attorney is kind of sketchy and, you know, they go through and they sign an agreement and let's say this attorney is not uh, forthcoming with all the information, now this attorney potentially kind of has his or her hooks into this athlete, you know, let's say this athlete does go on to make quite a bit of money in, in the pros. I mean, what, 
there, there's a lot of things that can certainly happen. You know, if you don't have a, a trusted team, it, it makes it really difficult. I'm hopeful that doesn't happen, but I mean, I got to be realistic. I know that that's a possibility. Yeah, it seems like wherever there's a lot of money, oh yeah, then people show up. They definitely show up. <laughs> they definitely show up. And they show up in their professional occupation, whatever that looks like. Yeah. I, I think about this often, not often, but every now and then I've thought about this. If I won the lottery, mm-hmm. I'm going to get this big lump sum of money and I immediately think, okay, I need to get good people around me to help me spend this money, help me just figure out how to even live with it. Right. I got to get a good CPA. I got to get a good lawyer. Now, but I think about that and I'm like, I don't even know where I would get a good blank blank that because I've heard all of the bad stories. Right. Right. So whenever we talk about NFL, NBA, really successful college athletes with the NIL deals nowadays, how do they find the people who <laughs> like actually care for them rather than, Oh boy, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I guess the first thing is, you know, word of mouth. You know, uh, obviously, if this thing kind of continues to go, there are going to be some things that are weeded out. You know, there's going to be people that have success with certain attorneys, uh, CPAs, et cetera. And so once that happens, then other student athletes are going to be able to see, okay, well, this particular attorney, he's he's on the up and up. He's had this client for X amount of years. He's done well by this particular student athlete or former student student athlete, uh, you know, referrals. Uh, I think just like anything, people's word of mouth is going to be, be a huge difference. And just interview people. Um, I know that's easier said than done, but, you know, try to get a good feel for the person. Uh, get your family involved with regards to interviewing as well. I was I was kind of hesitating because, you know, a lot of times you see these horrible stories with these student athletes that do go pro and they have, you know, Uncle Bob, who's a seventh grade teacher who is now managing all their their assets and, and their livelihood. And I was like, that's not good. I know you trust Uncle Bob, but don't. He doesn't have the acumen. He doesn't have to, the background. He, you yeah. need to hire someone, you know, with that background that does that on a day-to-day basis. And if you, if you look at all these guys who, as I mentioned before, in that ESPN 30 for 30, a lot of times they have someone that their uncle or that they essentially trusted that, you know, again, was a seventh. There's nothing wrong with seventh grade teachers, by the way. I must, that's a disclaimer. But should they be managing, you know, someone's career? So, you know, obviously uh, word of mouth and then just uh, interviewing, you know, people that are in the profession. So that's one of those things that stresses me out thinking about you're making all this money and you know that the, and it, it's with most things, right? You build a company, you build a nonprofit, the team is everything. Yeah. And yep. if you don't have a good team, especially when there's a lot of money in there, there's a lot of opportunity for you to end up on a 30 for 30 documentary. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now with financial literacy for student athletes, have you gotten involved with cryptocurrency? Nope. No, I haven't. Uh, even at uh, my firm, we don't, uh, deal with crypto at all. I think because our mindset is we try to invest in things that we can see and touch for the most part. <laughs> yeah. You know, so shares of a, a company or, you know, blue chip company or, you know, the likes of an IBM where you can travel and see, okay, there's the building. I can go touch it. I can knock on the door. 
Uh, whereas crypto, we just uh, we just haven't gone that direction. So me, I personally, I, I I haven't either. Is it here to stay? You know, I don't know yet. I just haven't put that much emphasis on it, uh, especially not with uh, retirement dollars. You know, money that people are going to need. Obviously, once they do retire, I, I don't. That doesn't even come near it. But I mean, is it is it something? There is something there. I mean, it's there is some type of. Uh, I don't know if I want to say success with it, but there is something there. It's just trying to figure out and navigate around it. Yeah, I know it, when you mention as far as student athletes, I'm sure there are going to be a number of student athletes that want to understand it better or, or even want to get paid by it, by crypto, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend at this point. There's been other professional athletes that, that have done that, which it hasn't <laughs> worked out well at all. I don't know. I haven't really been asked that much about it. Yeah, you know, ETF index fund. Love the ETF and index funds. Uh, I think they're a great option. Uh, fairly inexpensive as far as internal expenses are concerned. You know, very diversified as far as how you use them. You basically diversify in space uh, with regards to the different sectors. So whether it's you know real estate, whether it's large cap, mid cap, etc. Definitely, definitely like ETFs quite a bit. As far as a portfolio goes, whenever people are getting into those ETFs. One of the things that I thought was so cool was you can, whatever you know a lot about, you can invest in an ETF in that industry, like the airline jets. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can, if you know a lot of, if you know a lot about fast food, you can invest in that industry. Mm-hmm. And it's an awesome opportunity for people who are beginning to get into investing. Do you remember the first investment you made? I do. I, I invested, as, as a matter of fact, in some mutual funds. This is, uh, but again, let me back up. When I first, as I mentioned, when I first got into this business, when I left the university, I actually went and worked at uh, JCPenney's Distribution Center. This is before I became a financial advisor or came back to, I guess, becoming a financial advisor. And I remember still not fully understanding just investments in general. And I make that comment because when I first started, they had the option of investing in a 401k. I was like, I don't necessarily understand the 401k. And I met with a financial advisor, as a matter of fact, and he had uh, sold me some mutual funds. And so thinking back now, obviously years and years, the uh, the prudent thing for him to do is to advise me to invest in a 401k because, you know, they match it at a certain point and money's tax deferred and it's... Uh, there's a whole list of stuff that should have happened before <laughs> I invest in just some regular mutual funds. So that's my, like a brokerage account. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. an actual financial advisor that I met with. Wow. I, I told him, Hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Look at me. I'm investing. Yeah. The prudent thing for me to be would have been to invest in a 401k. I wonder why he didn't steer you that way. I don't know. I don't know. Commission. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Commission. So I remember hearing someone say you can own, like you like McDonald's, you can own McDonald's. You know, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean I can own McDonald's? And they said, instead of spending all your money on McDonald's, why don't you put your money into McDonald's so that you get a little money every time everybody else gets a burger from McDonald's? <laughs> That's an interesting way of uh, putting it. <laughs> yeah, and that, and then they said, not only that, but you can invest or you can own 500 companies at once mm. by investing in this index fund, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that got me really excited. But whenever you start becoming a financial advisor, you get to a point to where you decide to make your own firm mm-hmm. and build your own business. 
And to see that trajectory of someone who shows up to school and you have no idea about financial literacy, <laughs> you're in a class, and then you're at a point to wherever you're building your own firm, advising people on their financial resources. It's, uh, when you put it like that, that is pretty, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> what made you want to go build your own thing? Well, it actually didn't happen on purpose. When I started, uh, as I mentioned, my first job in, in this industry was with American Century. And so for those that don't know who American Century is, they're a mutual fund company. They're, they're headquartered in Kansas City. And so basically my job was to talk to the current investors and basically diversify the portfolio within American Century mutual funds. And that's what I did. I mean, I was very much all about the company. I, you know, I went to kind of rise to the top. You know, I'm always trying to climb that proverbial uh, corporate ladder. Where they were located, there were two towers. So you had the main tower, which was where American Century was, to the other tower, which housed a number of other firms, like a real estate firm, a attorney firm, and Smith Barney. So I had a teammate who worked at Smith Barney, and there was a little cafeteria that was right in the middle. And so from time to time, we would see each other, and he would just talk about, hey, you need to come you know, work at Smith Barney. And we would do that for, it seemed like, not months, but I mean, maybe a month, month and a half. So I finally started that process and the interview process took forever and I got hired on at Smith Barney, which was, you know, at the time was a big firm. And so I'm there at Smith Barney, you know, for all intents and purposes, learning quite a bit, uh, loving it. I get recruited to go to Merrill Lynch. And so Merrill Lynch is like the big dog, right? I'm, I'm, I'm making it to the big leads. And so uh, essentially got recruited to go to Merrill Lynch. So I, I made the move to Merrill Lynch. And then in 08, this is when a market crashed. Uh, when a market crashed, Merrill Lynch basically laid off a bunch of new advisors. I was one of them. And so basically I had this Jerry Maguire moment, you know, I, downstairs in the parking lot, like, who's coming with me? <laughs> Trying to think of all the clients I could, you know, essentially take with me that, that were mine. And so that day, I think it was like a February 19th or something, I in the parking lot of start my own firm. I basically call up and figure out all the stuff that's kind of on the go. I'm trying to figure out how do I start a firm with the this small business that I have. I had to kind of create the, my own systems and, and that's what I did. I just, you know, made mistakes along the way, learned from them, keep on moving. Just like sports, you know, just keep on moving. And so I was on my own for like, oh gosh, quite a bit. I'm trying to think how long I was on my own. Then I immersed my my practice until this Edmonds Duncan here in town uh, about three years ago three four years so yeah the so, whole time were you doing it by yourself I literally was doing it by myself so I opened up accounts uh, you know doing the paperwork meeting with the clients the research and all the stuff I was doing by myself which looking back on it was great because I know how things are done and I have an expectation versus just showing up and and, and doing something not understanding how the back works and so I think it, it definitely benefits me because, you know, I can, I can wear all hats. I mean, if you think it in terms of a McDonald's, how you got a manager, if that manager hasn't done every single job, worked the fries, you know, swept the floor and all that stuff, he or she is probably not a good manager. Mm-hmm. But if they've done all that work, they know what it takes, you know, to run, a, uh, you know, that, that place successfully. And so that happened to me. And so I, although times were, were rough, I, I enjoyed that experience. It's taught me a lot. What's the hardest part about being a financial advisor? 
Um, maybe some of the connotations. I mean, it, it just because typically, whenever you, a perfect example, Barry Madoff. You know, when he <laughs> when everything started falling apart for him, do people start looking at you? Like, yeah, just kind of looking. I'm not Bernie. I, I'm too naive to be Bernie. I don't, I don't. I don't even know how to do it. I mean, nor would I. But I don't. You're like I can't do that. I, I don't even. That's genius. Great, great for him. Yeah. But um, no, I, you know, something like that, you know, certainly lets people look at you, uh, you know, a certain way. And, you know, a financial advisor, we're a dime a dozen. You know, if you, if we walk outside, I'm sure the financial advisor walking his or her dog, anywhere you go, someone is, you know, always claiming to be a financial advisor. You know, how do you differentiate yourself? I mean, I, I guess it's really no different than any other business, whether you're podcasting or whether you're, I want to, you know, grocery store is just about, you know, being genuine with whoever you're working with. And I tell anybody, I'm a horrible salesperson. I cannot sell to save my life. The thing that I probably, I'm not going to say I do better, but I, uh, just relationships. I'm all about relationships. And so if I develop a relationship with someone, my whole point of developing that relationship is not to do business with them. I'm just like generally curious, you know, this person, you know, they sell widgets on a corner. You know, hey, how would you get started? Let's go grab coffee. It's not to say, hey, I'm going to sell you something later on down the road. Uh, I never was like that. Probably the reason why I don't make as much money as I probably could. But I just I just can't do that. I don't know if it's just upbringing. Uh, shout out to my parents. But I just, I'm just not wired that way. Yeah. So if someone in theory wants to do business with me later down the road, so be it. But if not, I'm not concerned. That doesn't motivate me. The curiosity motivates you as far as meeting with people in yeah. the relational currency rather than the actual financial that's a, currency. That's that's a great way to put it. Yeah, the emotional uh, emotional currency. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that I've seen a lot of people that I look up to. They have similar aspects with that because you know the studies show whether or not you're happy with life, it's not going to be about the cash. It's going to be about the quality of relationships. Quality of life. Uh, I talk about this all the time. Quality of life. And uh, it's uh, a broad statement, but it really is. Everything is, is comes back to the quality of life. Whether, you know, I can go to my dentist and I can talk about football games. I want a dentist, I can do that. Well, if I got that, so it's the quality of life. Playing basketball, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings with a good group of guys, quality of life. All that stuff, that's what you search for. And so, you know, does it cost a lot of money to get that? No, it's, you know, good people. And so, I, yeah, I, when you mentioned quality, that's, it just kind of took me back there. So, yeah, I'm you're, all about the quality of life. You're thinking about this stuff already all yeah, the time. Absolutely. Quality of life. Because I also have a curiosity to me. And I remember whenever I was an undergrad, one of my favorite things to do was just to meet people. And I could say, oh, hey, I'm a college student. Can I borrow some wisdom from you about this certain thing? <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. And like being a college student, nobody was like, that's weird, you know, because it's like, oh, you're a college student, you're learning. Right. And I could approach just about anybody. And I mean, not everybody would be available, but a lot of people are much more willing to share with you than you expect. Mm -hmm. I think that's so cool to know that there's different people out there who operate under that same motive is curiosity. What mm -hmm. can I learn? Because the people around us are like the books. Absolutely. The education. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So it's funny. You know, where we play at uh, Rock Chalk, uh, I don't know if you noticed. I, I'm trying to think, what's the last time you were out there to play? Has it and been a while? Like December. 
to similar. So even going back to something like Rock Chalk, every time we go in, I make it a point to talk to whoever's working at front desk. So Pam learned a lot about Pam. You know, she works in or uh, plays basketball in the Granny League. You know, she's had an opportunity to play at Allen Fieldhouse. She talks about, you know, obviously grandkids. She talks about um, just so much and to have just the best relationships with her. Because I want to get there and, you know, get there early, obviously to, to stretch, but just have a conversation with Pam. And so things like that, I'm not, I'm not trying to get anything from Pam. Pam's a great, great lady. So it's, it's just meeting people uh, with me. And like I said, the quality of life is, uh, is just what it's all about for me. I want to get Pam on the court. Get back. I don't know, man. She may shake you up, man. Don't let her. Don't let her fool you. No, that's the thing. I know she would shake me up. I want to see her shake some other people up. She probably shake us quite a few up. Pam's in better shape than most of us, probably. Yeah, I would love to see that. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, Pat. I appreciate you. I think it's cool to see. You know, you have the credentials, all that jazz, but you're a kind guy. And I appreciate that. Yeah, that is what stands out to me, and that's what I want on here. All right, folks. Well, we'll see you next time. Sounds good, brother.